I was pretty excited when I got to, uh, when I got the news that I was preaching on Christ the King Sunday, but I got to be a little honest and say that um, when thinking about what a king is and what it's like to be under a king, I feel like I'm a little inexperienced. I'm sure maybe unless you lived in a different country, you, you are inexperienced as well. Because we don't really know what it's like to live under a king. I mean, I think we can grasp the concept. Some of the kids were able to grasp the concept of what a king is. He rules over someone. But our, our knowledge of what a king is maybe comes from um, history class when we learned about kings. And maybe it even comes from the Bible when we learn about the kings in the Bible. Or maybe it comes from even a TV show or a movie. We know what a king is. But when you think of a king, I think you would think power, right? And authority. You, you would think of someone who demands the respect of everyone who is around him. He's not going to put up with even a little bit of disrespect. If someone shows him a little bit of disrespect, they will be handled, taken care of, punished. When you think of a king, you think power. So on Christ the King Sunday, when we look at our section from Matthew 27, just five verses, you see Jesus. And he doesn't look like a king. In this section, he's called the King of the Jews, and he's, he's referred to that in, later in this book as well. But we find Jesus. He had been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane betrayed by one of his own disciples. He had stood trial before a couple guys, before he finally stood trial before the Roman governor, who was Pontius Pilate at the time. And he stood before Pontius Pilate, who would decide what would happen to Jesus, with, with a crowd of Jews behind him. Do you remember how the story goes with, with Jesus and Barabbas? Barabbas was this known murderer. And Pontius Pilate gave the people the, decision, the, the, the choice, I will release to you Barabbas, who is this known murderer, or I will release to you Jesus, hoping that they would pick Jesus. But do you remember what the crowd shouted? They said, give us Barabbas. And to Jesus, they yelled, crucify him, crucify him. This king of the Jews was condemned to die by his own people. Jesus was then taken, and the verse before our section, verse 26, talks about how Jesus was flogged. This is the, this is the instrument that they used. Pastor Patterson actually made, made one. Um, a while back, he was preaching on the same text, and he wanted to give a visual aid. It, it, was, it was this wood stick that had... Uh, strips of leather, and on the ends of the strips of leather, maybe you can see it, maybe you can't, there's shards of metal. They would even use glass or bone fragments, and, the, and they'd whip the, the person who was going to be crucified in the back. And the point of this was, was to, to weaken them um, before they were going to be crucified. So that's the scene. That's what's leading up to Matthew 27 where we see Jesus. He has been through all of that. And then verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus 
into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes. Then they led him away to crucify him. So here's the scene. The Roman soldiers bring Jesus into what we see is a, a praetorium, which was a fancy word to say the governor's courtyard. So they're in Pontius Pilate's courtyard, and it says the whole company of soldiers is there. I was doing a little reading on, on the little Greek word that's used for company, and they suggest that it could be up to 600 Roman soldiers that were in this company. So there's a lot of people in this courtyard. They bring Jesus in after he had been condemned to die, after they had been shouting, crucify him, crucify him, after he had been flogged. And now Jesus was with, the, with these soldiers who wanted to have some, some fun with Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't have any earthly rights anymore, no human rights because he was condemned to die. So the Roman soldiers took Jesus. They, they knew his testimony. They knew he had claimed to be a king. So they took him and they put a robe on him like a king would wear. They twisted together a crown of thorns and jammed it on his head and then they gave him a scepter that he held. And they proceeded to mock him. Hail, king of the Jews! What kind of king is this? Someone who's rejected by his own people. They beat him on the head and they spit on him. To the Romans, Jesus was just some crazy guy who claimed to be a king. It threw this whole thing, through this whole mocking and beating and flogging, they saw no sign of strength. Jesus willingly submitted to this. There was no part of him that fought back and they saw no hint of power. He meant nothing to the Romans. How about to the Jews? These were the people that Jesus came to save, right? Jesus was sent for the Jews to save the Jews. Yet they didn't accept him as king. They saw him do miracles throughout his life. They heard him preach. They knew that he claimed to be a king, but they were so appalled with that statement that they sentenced him to death on a cross. How about the disciples? How did, what did they think about Jesus? The disciples had been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. Three years they had spent with him. They had heard him teach. They had watched him do miracles. They believed in him. They did believe in him as their savior, as their king. But you know the disciples, they had this difficulty grasping the earthly and the heavenly. They mixed those two up quite a bit. They thought that Jesus was going to be a king that would rise, raise up the Jewish, Jewish nation. And they would come to prominence on the world scene once again. But when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was beat and when he was sentenced to death, 
it didn't really look like he was going to be the, the king of the Jews any longer. So what did they do? They, they abandoned him, right? They all ran away. Eleven of them ran away, and one of them was the one that betrayed them, betrayed him in the first place. A king reigns. A king rules, yet Jesus didn't appear to be doing any of these things. How about nowadays? Do you think that Jesus is the king? What's the popular opinion? Is Jesus king that is control of every, in control of everything that happens? In the wake of a terrible hurricane, are people saying that Jesus is in control? Is Jesus really the king? In the wake of yet another mass shooting that took place in a church nonetheless, is Jesus really in control? Is Jesus really king? The logic goes like this. If Jesus is king and he allows hurricanes, natural disasters, he allows the atrocities like mass shootings, then Jesus must be a cruel king. Or he must have no idea how to govern the world at all. That kind of thinking isn't new. That kind of thinking existed back then in our text. That thinking still exists. When people read this section of Scripture, they apply the same logic. They say if Jesus was king and he allowed himself to be mocked, he allowed himself to be beaten and spit on, then he must be a weak king. Things aren't always as they seem. Take Lydia, for example. From appearances, how does she look? She looks elderly, frail, perhaps. If you were to hear her talk, you would hear a, a gentle voice, a calm voice, someone who's kind and compassionate. She's not going to be forcing her opinions on anyone. You would say she's probably soft-spoken. The first thing you think of when you see Lydia is not strength. Unless you knew her story. When Lydia was just a little girl, she was taken and jammed onto a train car where she was smushed with a bunch of people on that train car. When they got to their destination, she was pushed off and then they started separating the people, some to the left, some to the right. The ones put on the left were going to the concentration camp. The ones on the right were going to the gas chamber. Lydia was put in the group on the left that was going to the concentration camp. Lydia's mother was put on the right. Lydia lost her mom at a very young age in a very tragic way and she didn't get a chance to say goodbye, even. And on top of that, she had to live in a concentration camp where she, she lived through inhumane conditions where death was a real possibility at any time. And, and sometimes death was perhaps preferable to what she had to go through. It was terrible. But years later, this is a picture taken at her interview. They were asking her, 
what it was like and how she dealt with it. And you see the incredible strength of this woman. She could have made all kinds of excuses. She could use this as an excuse for her entire life, but you know what she said? She said, I didn't feel like a victim. She said, everybody has hard things that happen to them in their life. Everybody has those rough patches, but it's just how you move on and you, and you get through it. You survive. The strength that she showed was remarkable. You wouldn't know it by looking at her. She doesn't look strong. But things weren't as they seemed with her because she was strong. Things weren't as they seemed with Jesus. Jesus was and Jesus is truly God. Do you remember the the first part of the book of John? It's been put into songs before, so that's how it kind of sticks in my head. John describes Jesus as the Word. He calls him the Word. And the first verse says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Jesus took part in the creation of the world. That's the kind of power that King Jesus has. And we see that power throughout the Gospels as well, don't we? And when you read through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can't help but see all of the miracles that Jesus does, right? Where he shows his power. He calms storms. He walked on water. He fed thousands of people and healed many. And the list goes on and on. Jesus had supreme power as king, but it didn't seem like it because he was beaten and weak and mocked. He was the king of the universe. It just didn't look like it. But things were not as they seemed. Jesus may have been overpowered. And Jesus may have been weak, but that weakness was really incredible strength. Because he made himself weak. He put himself down. It it was a choice that Jesus made to be weak. And it was a choice that he made consistently throughout his life here on earth. From the time that he was born of a virgin, as a little infant, the God of the world was a little infant, helpless and lowly, all the way till the time where he suffered and died on the cross. It appeared like he was weak, but this was really incredible strength because he was doing it for you. It's your strength. Jesus suffered and died on the cross to give you strength in your suffering, to give you forgiveness of sins and life. Jesus didn't come to earth to to set up an earthly kingdom like the disciples may have thought. Jesus came as a heavenly king to give heavenly gifts of love and forgiveness. Those are the kind of things that give you strength in your own suffering. Because as a Christian, it says in the Bible that we will suffer. That's a hard thing. As 21st century Americans, we avoid suffering at all costs. 
We will stay as far away from suffering and pain and weakness as we can. We're repulsed by weakness. In fact, sometimes we, we are tempted to think that if God was truly with me, if God was truly on my side, then I wouldn't suffer, right? But in the Bible, we learn that, that when you suffer, you are blessed. When you suffer for Christ, you are blessed. And actually, when you suffer for Christ, you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, which is a beautiful thing and something that we consider an honor uh, to suffer for our Savior. You learn things in your suffering too, don't you? Something you learn when you suffer for Christ is you learn to despair of your own strength and to rely completely on Christ. Too often in our lives, we want to try to take the throne, don't we? We want to push Jesus off of the throne and sit on it ourselves. We want to be in control. We want to rule and reign over our own life. And we want to say how things should be governed in the world. But things aren't as they seem. What you see as strength, as you're sitting on that throne, is not strength, it's weakness. Real strength is when Jesus is sitting on that throne. When you trust Jesus to rule and to reign and to be in control of your life. That's when you have real strength. Strength that helps you in your suffering through those, those thorns in your life. Jesus was the king of thorns. He, we he wore that crown of thorns as a symbol of how deeply he loved each and every one of you. He was really a king unlike any other king. His kingdom was one of love and of grace. And that was completely rooted in that sacrifice that he made, in the suffering that he went through. Things weren't as they seemed. He may have been the king of thorns, but it wasn't his weakness. It was his strength. And it's your strength. It's kind of a lot to chew on. And to think that Jesus gives us strength in our sufferings and that he has given us all of those things. But it's something we love to hear and we want to grasp in a deeper way because that's the concept of pure grace. It's Jesus giving everything for you. And Jesus giving you strength to deal with all of your problems in your life. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll, I'll just ask. How many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ before? Uh, a good majority. It was, a, it was similar this morning too. This movie came out more than a decade ago now. And I was 12 years old when I first went and saw it. We went with a church group and I went with my dad. Um, and I remember sitting in that theater watching it. If you haven't seen it before, it is a gruesome movie. Incredibly gory. It depicts Jesus' last few days on earth. It shows Jesus being flogged. It shows him being beaten, spit on, and mocked. And frankly, it's hard to watch, even now. But I remember as a 12-year-old, closing my eyes and, and covering my ears because I couldn't take it. It was too gruesome for me. 
And that wasn't even the worst part. The last verse of our text said, Then they led him away to crucify him. Crucifixion was an awful way to die. The Romans actually used this form of execution as a fear tactic to incite fear into the hearts of the people so that they would obey. And it worked. It was awful. I described how they would flog you before you were taken to be crucified. And then with your back all torn up from the flogging, you would carry that cross on your back until you came to the spot where you would be executed. And then you were nailed hand and most likely ankle to the tree from which you were suspended for as long as it took until you died. Jesus was on the cross for six hours. Does it make you sick to your stomach? It makes me sick to mine. Aside from the sheer brutality of it, that's my Savior. And he's doing it for me. But these, these things are all written for a purpose, and we're, we're talking about it for a purpose. I'm not, talking, I'm not saying this to you so that you'll feel sorry for Jesus or have pity on him. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. These aren't written that you feel sorry for Jesus. These are written that you know how deeply he loved you and that love was strong. Your Savior was willing to go face to face with death for you. Jesus confronted death. Do you confront death? Do you think about it? I think about it from time to time, but mostly it's something that prompts me to think about it. Whether it's someone I know that is sick or in the hospital, or somebody um, died close to me that I know that I went to their funeral, and I'm confronted with the reality that someday I will die. Someday you will die. It's a reality. Unless Jesus comes before then, we will all face death. And we wrestle with it. We struggle with it because it's hard for us to grasp the finality of it that at one point life will end. There will be no more. And we're tempted to think, why would God even allow something like this? God says that death is the curse of sin, right? That, that death is the result of your sin, of my sin, of Adam's sin. That all people will die because of that sin. But Jesus came to take that curse on himself because he wanted to put an end to it. If Jesus hadn't come and suffered, if Jesus hadn't come and died and risen from the dead, then suffering in this life and death at the end of this life would be the least of your concerns because you would experience second death, which is 10,000 times worse, and eternity in hell. But Jesus didn't want you to go through that. He didn't want you to experience second death, so he took that curse on himself. And he suffered and he died 
so that you wouldn't have to go through that second death. Because Jesus has rose from the dead, death has lost its sting. The grave could not hold Jesus, and the grave will not hold you. Because now, when you are confronted in your, with your death, you can almost smile and think about how it is the door to eternal life with Jesus. Things were not as they seemed. Jesus did indeed suffer, and Jesus did indeed die on the cross, but death wasn't the end for Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. That great resurrection chapter that we read from, he rose from the dead, he conquered death, and showed that he had power over death, that Jesus was king over death, and even more than that, that Jesus was the king of life. No one could give life like Jesus did. And no one gives life like, like Jesus does. It turns out that Jesus was just being the most gracious king ever. He had it all. And he had it all that he could give. And that's what he did. He gave it all for you and for me. So on Christ the King Sunday, we love to call Christ our King. Heaven is already singing his praises. All the angels and all those loved ones of yours that have gone on before you are singing and proclaiming him as King. Join them and say, Jesus is my King.